Well, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast today. This is episode number 306, and we're speaking with Rob Gehring from Spartan Precision. Rob is a prior guest on the episode, and we will leave a link in the show description to that prior episode. Uh, that conversation prior was one that I thoroughly enjoyed. We talked not only about hunting, but a lot of Rob's background in mountaineering uh, and similar expeditions. And we focused a lot in that conversation on things like mindset, dealing with difficult conditions, and much more. Rob joins us again today because honestly, it had just been a while and we wanted to catch up again. But we also wanted to dive a little bit more into the business side with Spartan Precision and understand their products. Both Steve and I have been using Spartan Precision bipods for many years now. And over the course of the last handful of years, I've used more pieces and parts of, call it, the Spartan ecosystem. So things like their Davros head, which can go on a tripod and use Spartan's quick mount solution for both rifles, optics, and more. So we do dive into a bit more about the product as well as things like shooting tips. So what are some things to consider if you are shooting off of a tripod with a rifle, for example? So... This is a great wide-ranging conversation. It also happens to fit right along with a new giveaway that we're launching called the XO Experience. And the short version is this. We just want to see your experiences this fall. If you're an Exo Mountain Gear customer, we'd love to see where your pack takes you and what adventures you have. And so throughout the fall, we want you to enter the EXO experience by sharing your field photos, as well as maybe a short story about your experience and what makes those moments special. Now, we're not just after trophy photos. While those are great and we'd love to see the animals from a successful hunt that you may have, we want this to be truly about the entire experience of being in the backcountry and enjoying the hunts, no matter when, where, or what you are hunting. So to get all the details for this, you're going to go to exomountaingear.com forward slash experience. And again, there'll be a link in the show description for this. We're going to be picking winners each month in September, October, November, and then a grand prize in December. September includes products from Spartan Precision. So I reached out to Rob and his team many months ago to see if they'd want to participate in this giveaway as I was planning it, and they graciously agreed to do so. So you can win the Spartan Precision Pro Hunt Bipod, the Davros Head, and a heavy-duty optics adapter. You'll hear more about those products in this podcast, and you can also see more by going to exomountaingear.com forward slash experience to learn how to get entered and also check out links to those products if you want to actually see more from Spartan Precision. Whew, that's a long introduction. Let's go ahead and dive into this conversation with Rob Gearing from Spartan Precision. Well, Rob, welcome back to the Hunt Back Country podcast. It's good to chat with you today. Thank you, guys, and thank you for inviting me. Delighted to uh, be back here again. Yeah, we had you on prior in episode 177, uh, and if listeners haven't listened into that episode, I would highly recommend it. We talked a lot about your background, Rob, as a mountaineer, how you apply that to hunting. Uh, the title of that episode was Confronting Risk, Fear, and Discomfort. Uh, I even remember, Steve, that I, I can't recall if you just couldn't make that one or what have you, but essentially that you weren't on that conversation and you listened to it after the fact and you even said, man, I wish I was there for yeah, that. Yeah, I do. I, I specifically remember I was mowing the yard when I listened to that one and it's like, damn, that was a good podcast. So I just, 
hit on a lot of topics that I, you know, I definitely firmly believe in. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. yeah. No, good. I know. I enjoyed doing it with you. And, um, and I think we covered a lot of ground and it's, it's good to revisit those things and, uh, put a balance on things and, uh, try and sh- sort of share one's perspective on risks and assessment of those. I mean, after all, at the end of the day, I think if you're a hunter, um, a mountaineer or really a serious outdoors person, that's half the charm, half the magic is, is the uncertainty, isn't it? Don't you think of what's around the corner? Yes, absolutely. What's that quote, Steve? I know, I know it's stuck in your mind and I know it's from a prior podcast guest, but it was talking about adventure and basically when the most like, I don't know if it was the most likely result is failure. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Oh, Steve? True adventure is when the most likely result is failure. Yeah. yeah. I love, yeah. love that one. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely agree with that. And some of the most exciting trips that I have um, been on have encountered in complete disaster, you know, and not, not turned out how they should have. I mean, we tried uh, a first ascent in the Himalayas um, a few years back. And basically, we ended up having to go up the Kulwa, which is basically the waste disposal unit for anybody that's not mountaineering out there, which is not the type of place you want to end up trying to punch your way to the top of a mountain, particularly an unclimbed one. And uh, that all let go. And uh, I thought the guy below me actually got killed. Um, I was convinced he was dead for half an hour, but he wasn't. But do you know what? I look back on that trip and everybody came up, walked away from it. Everybody was fine. No accidents. But it was a most marvellous adventure. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've got very fond memories of it. We never summited it. I don't know if the mountain ever got climbed. Uh, but um, a pretty cool, epic trip for sure. Yeah. Shitting myself while I was on it, mind you. <laughs> you forget the bad bits. You just, you yeah. just remember yeah. the good bits. And, but, I, you know, I'm sitting here with a smile on my face thinking about it now. And, so, Rob, you're talking about climbing the Himalayas, adventure, these big trips, mountaineering. So I'm kind of curious, like, to tie that into how did that transition to hunting for you? And then moving into Spartan Precision, how did you go from just a hunter to then developing products for the hunting space specifically? Yeah, a very good question. So as a climber, you have to, you know, particular type of climbing we were doing, you're pretty much carrying everything in. So weight has always been a key driver for me. Um, If I can find products that are reliable, uh, not heavy, and multifaceted, more than one function, so much the better. Hunting has always been a big part of my life as well. And if you take a tripod, for example, I look at a tripod maybe slightly differently to how a lot of people do. That's a heavy bit of real estate to have to put on one's back and lob up in the mountains. I completely get why we need them. And particularly in the States, if you're glassing for 12 hours a day, looking for sheep and such like, it's an absolute essential tool. So I look at something like that and think, well, how can I make that tripod earn its living um, other than just being a tripod? So from a Spartan, putting my Spartan head on, I thought, well, hang on a minute. I've got three really good functional legs on this tripod. Let's take them off. Let's turn those into real game-changing, super strong trekking poles, right, that can help me carry myself in. And guess what? If I get my sheep, my elk or whatever, I can use that to help me carry that stuff out as well. So that's, that's a classic fit of how I would look at uh, a product 
to try and make it do more than one job without being a gimmick. I mean, I don't know if you guys use trekking poles. I wish I'd certainly started using them at a younger age. I always thought it was a bit of a gay thing, really, you know. But now at 57, I wish I'd started using them at 27. Um, and I won't go into the mountains without taking trekking poles. Yeah. Yeah, I feel the same here for sure. Um, it, it's funny you mentioned the whole like the gimmick piece because I I tend to see that a lot where it's easy from a like I guess from a purely marketing perspective to have a product and be like it can do this, but wait, there's more. It can also do this, yeah. and it can you know transform into a, a backcountry rice cooker. Like th- you know, there's all these gimmicky kind of like oh, multifaceted I, I, use cases, but. Um, when versatility is truly done well, then it's, it truly is valuable. If it's truly done well, it tends to be stupid, simple. And people Mm. pick it up and go, why didn't I think of that? Right. Um, If it's a gimmick and trust me, I'm sure you guys both spend enough time in the mountains to sort the wheat from the chaff as I do. And I am the older I get, the less I take Uh, two reasons for that. One, I'm not as strong as I once was. And Honestly, I end up, if I don't use something, it doesn't come with me. So I'm always, always looking at um, things, sort of trying to be critical without, I've just designed a knife. Um, You know, it's going off back slightly, but I'm not going to be selling that knife. I'm not, I don't make knives, but the knife I've designed, I would akin to like the 308 of the shooting world. It doesn't do anything brilliantly well, but it does everything okay, right? And there'll always be a better caliber out there than a 308 if you know what your specific goal is. But you can pretty much take a 308 anywhere around the world and it's going to do the job. And that was the same with my knife. With, with the Spartan gear, you could sort of say that certainly in the earlier days where it was just, it's light, it's simple, it gets you out the ship. I'm not pretending that, you know, in the ideal environment, there might be a better tool for something specific. We've sort of added a bit of finesse now and fine-tuned our products. And, and, you know, next year, I think there'll be five different bipods, right, and three tripods. So it's, it's you pick what best suits your needs, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Let's touch on the bipods, because that's honestly where that's where things started for me with Spartan position, uh, and how, you know, I thought of you guys years ago as a company, uh, it's what I have the most experience with in terms of your products. Um, and that's honestly what we get the most questions about probably because we've talked about it the most, um, is your bipods before we get into the bipod itself. Was that the first application of your mounting system? Cause as, as we can talk about like your mounting system, once you start using that and realize the versatility of it, it, it opens yeah. up a new world. But did that all begin, I'm assuming, with the first bipod? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so about seven years ago, I used to take quite a few people hunting in the UK. Um, used to have a Harris bipod on the rifle. Love Harris bipods. Nothing wrong with them. Great tool. Um, it's just things have moved on. You know, products have got, materials have got better, lighter. Um Magnets have got a lot better, you know, so I, I used my sort of aviation background to sort of do something that was a little bit more for my liking. And I, my argument has always been, why should a bipod stay on the rifle? You know, I, I might use it 
0.1% of the time, probably less than that. So having it on the rifle to get caught in scrub or in, you know, if you're riding a horse or whatever you're doing, just seems like a stupid place to keep it. When I can put a bipod on that rifle quicker than you can drop two legs on any other bipod. And trust me, guys, that's not me bigging it up. I'm not super quick at it. It's just, um, it's just uh, the way it is. It's, it's super quick to put that bipod onto the rifle when you need it. The, so the bipod now, um, you have the Javelin lights, I believe, and then kind of you can go up in there and kind of price some features into the, the kind of the pro series if I have the terms correct. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's a good term, Mark. I mean, what we're trying to do is make it ubiquitous and make it more affordable. Yeah. The heads, in essence, don't have a lot of difference. There are subtle changes between a pro hunt and a javelin light. The pro hunt has a lock system on the back, which engages a lot the leg when it comes out. But basically, in a nutshell, they're the same sort of tool. And you can upgrade the legs, you know, from the javelin light at a later stage. If you want to put uh, tack legs in or pro legs, you just unscrew them and fit them. But in essence, we've just fine-tuned the product and made it. I'm, I'm pretty proud of where it is now. And I can say that without being arrogant, because guess what? There's a lot of good heads that have sat around the table to make it what it is today. And that's, I'm just a small bit of the grey matter when it comes to that now. Um, but yeah, the bipod was where it all started, right? Fit that gunsmith adapter in your rifle, and then you've got so many opportunities to use it for other things and optics as well um, with other different adapters. The whole system becomes totally modular. Think of Lego, and that's basically what we've got in the shooting world. You build, you don't need it all. I spend my life telling people, I said, you don't need that tripod and that one. You don't need that bipod. You, you buy one bipod that best suits your application. It'll do everything okay and some things brilliantly well. You know, if you picked out Valhalla bipod, for example, and compared it with a javelin, one's like comparing a shot putter with the other one's a long distance runner. It's, it's horses for courses. Well, the guys, because I've gotten this question a fair amount, um, guys who are kind of looking to get started with the Spartan system, want to hit that entry-level price points, go with the Javon Lite. As you said, it performs all the functions really um, that you need from a, the base system. But one thing on there is the the fixed legs and choosing your leg height. I think up front, you know, I, I've gotten questions on which one's best for me. What should I choose? So how do you answer that question, Rob, for the guys who's looking at the base bipod? The, the boss, young Hannah, that runs our business now, who's 28, an absolute epic girl. She's done a brilliant job and she's got a far bigger mind than me. Hence, I'm up here fishing on the D boys and not working today. <laughs> um, but she'll kill me for this. But honestly... The javelin light in 80% of applications will do everything. You you know what it's like to hunt in the mountains, right? Mm -hmm. You can always find something or put a bit of lift under it or whatever. You just need two legs to support that platform and take the slack out the system, right? And that javelin light really, really does hit the button to the extent that I often use a javelin light. You know, sure, if I was in a different, if I was in Scotland, I'm going to use a javelin light with long legs. If I'm down on the south of England in Hampshire or something, I'm going to use a shorter leg. So I have to know that application. What, what's the difference there? Well, Scotland, you've got a lot of mountains so, and a lot of heather. 
So you need to get a bit of height. You invariably need more height up there. In Hampshire, it's pretty flat, and I don't tend to need the height. And the, the ranges are closer. So honestly, Steve, I tend to get away with shorter legs in the further south I go. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, or get the tack legs or the pro legs. Um, but you can always buy those later. What I was trying to do was our products were expensive because all the parts are machined. We use really high-grade carbon fibre, and we don't cut corners. But if I, with the javelin light, it's sort of almost a buy-in option where somebody can say, well, I'm going to buy that uh, body and those legs, but I can always fit more expensive or more capable legs later down the line. I don't have to go and buy them immediately. And, and we've done the same with the Davros. I mean, the Davros is a great little unit. It looks like a tiny little grenade, um, but that will go on anybody else's tripod or primus trigger sticks. So a lot of it, you don't need to buy our complete system. You can buy that little head and stick it on pretty much anything you like. Yeah, I've kind of, in my own experience with the bipod and encouraged most guys to think through, with, with the bipod, you can take the shorter legs and you can build support to essentially get more clearance, but you can't always yeah. take longer legs and get in a good position when you don't need the longer legs. So I'm prone to suggest the shorter legs more. And then if, you need to get on a rock or on your pack or what have you. You can always make that taller. You, you can. And it's a very good analogy, Mark. It's well put and well said. And you're not going to be in the mountains without a pack or a coat to give you a bit more height if you need it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. In an ideal world, you're going to have the legs that adjust, but then it's, you're, you're going to be paying a lot more cash for those legs. Sure. You know, it's, um, we try to keep the prices as competitive we can. We really, really sort of, cut the price for the Davros last year. The Javelin Light is maybe a wee bit more than expensive than the Harris Bipod, I'd guess, but we're, we're getting there. And it's certainly that the reviews we get from customers, they absolutely love that Bipod. I mean, you know, it, it, Apple Mac would be proud to get the reviews we get. I'm sure it does. It's not everybody's fit. You know, nothing is. But the people that get it, really get it, really understand it. And as I was saying earlier, and we probably got cut off is, you know, the rifle to my mind, and people can argue with me, is not the place to keep your bipod. You keep that bipod in your, in your pocket and you put it on when you need it and take it off when you don't. You don't use it very often. So getting it hung up in scrub or if you're riding a horse or whatever, I absolutely do not like having bipods on rifles. And I used to have a bipod on the rifle all the time. Nothing wrong with it, but I can put that bipod on that rifle quicker than you can drop two legs on a conventional bipod. So bang goes that argument. And I'm not super quick at it, but just try that experiment with anybody that dares question it. Yeah. Is there anything, um, I feel like I've heard this discussed. I've shot off of obviously the Spartan bipod. I've shot off of Harris's. I've shot off of Atlas's. Like I've shot off mini bipods. And I have somewhat of a, like, I can pick out distinctions in each one in terms of like the feel, um, yeah. you can depend on both, both the weight of the bipod, the geometry of the bipod, the attachment system, et cetera. But I feel like I've seen it or heard it discussed the differences between, you know, you mentioned earlier choosing carbon fiber obviously it's going to be lighter in weight oftentimes. Is there, any, is there anything unique about carbon fiber application for shooting? That's not the big advantage of carbon fiber, Mark. 
Um, and this is a happy accident. I, I'd like to say I, I thought about it, but I didn't. It was an after. It, it came to us later. And it doesn't have to be a javelin bipod. There's a lot of good companies making carbon fiber bipods. I'm sure of that. But if you slow-mo video uh, shooting off metal legs and then you do the same off shooting off carbon fiber, you won't go back to shooting off metal legs. It's like putting suspension on your car. So what it does is it manages the recoil of the rifle platform so much better and in a more uniform manner. Um, and, yeah, anybody out there, I encourage you to try and video it. Do it slow-mo. It's incredible. It's like comparing fishing, fishing with a metal rod and fishing with a carbon rod. You know, there would be worlds apart. It's just there will not – I don't believe there will be metal bipods in the next 20 years. Everybody will be using carbon fibre. Just like all cars have suspension. Okay, interesting. Now, that isn't that doesn't answer your question completely, right? That's not to say. I mean, the javelin is first and foremost a hunting tool. You put it on; it's very lightweight. You take the slack out the system. It's not a bipod. You're designed to take a low, you know, really load that bipod. Although you can. Um, and my argument is with modern rifle platforms, all you want to do is take the slack up out of the system. You don't want to push them out of true. Now, with something like the Valhalla bipod that we also make and other stuff that we do, they're a, they're a different tool, really, for a different purpose. So, yeah, I'd say the Javelin is very much aimed at hunting. It will work perfectly well on a range, but it's not necessarily the first bipod you would go to use on a range. And to be honest, the Atlas bipods are great. The Harris bipods are great. Everybody's making good gear these days. Otherwise, it wouldn't exist. Yeah. What percentage of shots? You, you, you mentioned, you know, being, not having the bipod mounted to the gun all the time. How often are you taking a shot not laying prone on the bipod? So, good question, Steve. So, in the south of England, I'm probably doing 80% of my work off a tripod or a giant, you know, two-legged or, or the Sentinel system but using it on two legs standing if i was up in scotland you could turn that on its head and i'd be saying 80 percent of my shots would be off bipods hmm. yeah just country dependent just yeah country yeah environment dependent if i was hind stalking up in scotland i'd almost bang that up to 90 percent, maybe even 95 and say pretty much every you know hind shooting you're on your back you're on your front prone taking a shot very very rarely would you be doing a standing shot and uh yeah completely the other way around down where i come from hmm. you touched a lot on of the stuff yeah oh, sorry steve no i was gonna say you touched on um cost and obviously I, I see that come up in discussions uh with products and as you said it's a result of materials and things like that. But can you talk about what really goes into that um, in terms of maybe why the cost is what it is? And clearly, you yeah. know, it, it, to me, these discussions, on one hand, I'm always interested in them because to me, I, I always find it fascinating to truly understand how much goes into a product. But on the other hand, like the arguments against cost get old because people make these like, open arguments. Oh, well, you don't have to spend that much because you can buy, you know, $20 bipod. And it's like, sure you can. Yeah. And if that's and, what and you want, go for it. But that doesn't mean there's yeah. not an application for something else. No, that, very good question. And be very happy to answer that. So every single part on our products is machined. We don't cast any parts. Now 
arguably you could turn around and say, well, maybe it would be much better to cast the foot, for example. The foot doesn't need to be machined, but we're a small company, so they are machined. Um, and maybe one day we will cast those parts, and that would certainly reduce the cost quite dramatically. Also, we've blown up a lot of carbon getting to where we've got to today. We've tried lots of carbon, and really, you just can't cut corners with carbon. You can, but it's not going to be as durable. If you look at our trekking poles, for example, they, those, those legs, there's no, most tripods, you take them apart, there's plastic liners in them. So the carbon's actually quite thin. I'm not saying they're all like that. But if you take any Spartan leg apart, all it is, all you're going to find is carbon. And it's thick carbon. And there's no little bits that you can lose. And even if you break one of our legs, for example, you can remove the broken part, still put it in and lock it out. So you've still got a functional trekking pole or bipod leg. So... Yes, we probably could reduce costs. And in time, I expect we will as we become a bigger company. But we're tiny. You know, there's 12 people working there. I mean, we might have sold 60,000 bipods now, which is epic. But literally, you know, we don't get many complaints about the quality. We certainly get people whinging about the price. And I get that. And if there's stuff I can do about it, I will. The other thing I would say about that is clearly if you've got a javelin bipod, right? You only need one, one bipod for all your rifle systems if you want to be that way. You know, you could have an adapter on every rifle and you've only got one javelin. So if you looked at it like, that way, the economics do stack up. But I'm going to say that, aren't I? Yeah. No, I mean, I would, I would 100% echo that for myself. I have, you know, two or three rifles that I primarily hunt with. Um, I have a shoot. I have a amount on the 22 that I shoot with my kids. Like I truly have one bipod that can attach to four or five different applications in seconds. And so at that point, it's like, yeah, like I am saving money compared to outfitting different rifles with different mounts and different bipods and that whole mess for sure. And another thing I'd like to add is I haven't done the Apple Mac. You know, I can give you the very first bipod that I ever made and it will still work in all our adapters. And uh, that, for me, is absolutely crucial. If people are investing in us, I've said to the team, you treat people how you want to get treated, and they've got that 100%. I think most that we don't always get it right, but we really try our level best to do that. Um, and the other thing is, I said, never change the circuitry, guys. You know, we're happy with that 12 mil fitting. It works. Don't go and reinvent the wheel so people have to buy new gear. Because that really upsets me, that kind of thing. If you're spending a lot of money on a product, you want to know it's got a good life ahead of it. Mm. That's good. So we'll, let's talk about that mount. Um, we've touched on it, the magnetic, quick attach, detach. Uh, for listeners who may have not seen it, essentially, there's a female end and a male end to keep it really simple. Um, you know, a bipod, for example, is going to have the male end and then it's inserted into the female end, which is uh, attached to your rifle system. You can take that same uh, concept and honestly, the same attachment system. And now you can talk about using tripods with spotting scopes or binoculars or putting your rifle on a tripod. And so that whole connection system uh, becomes critical. You mentioned something like the Davros, which I've been using for a couple of years now. Um, talk about a little bit more about the Davros. You covered it real quick. Um, you said you could put on other tripods or shooting sticks, but 
I found it's yes, super versatile, but works great for shooting a rifle as well as running optics. So that to one thing, that's like me, I started with just a bipod and then purchased a Davros later. And that's when I really like the light bulb went off for me. So really good question. I absolutely love the Davros. Um, I love it for the simple reason is you don't need to buy into our system in an expensive way. A lot of people have already got very good tripods or they've got primus trigger sticks. They've got systems they're very happy with. Well, the Davros is simply, it's like a little tiny um, metal di- uh, a, a unit um, the size of, oh, what would it be? Like about the size of an egg, chicken egg, really. And it's got a little ball joint in the top. And um, that will screw on to pretty much any tripod or system out there. We do a G-clamp. We even do rubber suckers. We do magnets. So you can stick that Davros even on a high seat or tree stand if you want. And the, the stability, well, you're, you'll probably concur, Mark. Um, it really does lock that rifle down very nicely and really gives you a huge benefit over a conventional rabbit head support system. Yeah. So how then do you, for guys who are new to the system, one thing I've appreciated is I could be down glassing on a tripod, um, with the Davros and move from binoculars to spotting scope to rifle, like literally within seconds and not needing plates yeah. and not needing all these different adapters, but talk us through then, I guess the optics piece and how that rolls in just for guys who are trying to picture, well, how do I then attach uh, binoculars to that? So, so what we do, we make a host of adapters for the rifle systems and for optics. There'll be more coming out as well next year. Um, we're working on one for some, which I'm really excited about for binoculars as well. But you can put the optics adapter. We do a light duty one and a heavyweight optics adapter that's got a little con- uh, carbon control rod on it now. So that will go on your spotting scope and that will clip onto the Davros just the same way as the rifle. Now, will it replace a big fluid head or pan head? No, it won't. I'm not going to pretend it will. Right. If you want that real fine detail and that control, you know, you probably will want a panhead, but you can use a panhead on our systems as well. We've got a unit that goes clipped straight onto the Davros, so you can untwist it and pull it off that can have a panhead on if you want. But if you don't need that extra weight and you're like me and you're fairly rudimentary with those kind of things, you can put your optics adapter straight on the Davros and um, it works pretty well for me. It's not going to give you the same control, but it's going to save you like three pounds in weight. So, um, it will do the job. It's a, again, it's the 308 analogy. You know, it'll do everything reasonably well, but there's always going to be something that's going to do it better if you don't mind paying the price in weight. Mm, yeah. One thing I've, you know, in, in using the Davros for optics, I had reservations um, up front about it, but I appreciate how you can set the tension on it. So it's stable, but at the same time, like with binoculars, especially when you're not dealing with a giant full-size heavy spotter, you still can like pan horizontally quite well with it. Um, you know, being yeah. able to it, set it that works. tension. Yeah, it works, but it's, I, I don't lie to people and I'm not going to say, you know, you, if you, if you had it up against a nice man, Frotto fluid head or something like that, it's not going to be the, it's not going to be the, give you the same finesse. But then we have come out with the Davros Pro, 
There's the little Davros and there's the Davros Pro, which has got a much better, stronger lock on it, more versatility. You can, you can go over at 90 degrees. So that's our answer. So there, it's another tool. Personally, I'm very happy using the little Davros. I'd love to love everybody to buy a Davros Pro, but really think about it. It's probably over twice the price. And I really love the little Davros. It does everything, me personally, that I need it for. Um, and it's it's much lighter. So I'm always the kind of guy that's going to go for the javelin light or the mm-hmm. javelin pro hunt. Um, I might not even take tack legs because, you know, there are a few more, just a few more grams or ounces. And um, it, it's, it's, I'm very, I, I really like simple systems, less to go wrong and they do the job. Yes, they won't give you the same finesse, but the functionality is there. And ultimately, if you're an ethical hunter, like you guys are, like I am, you want, you want results. And that means a, a cleanly killed animal. And if you shoot as many as I do, do you know what? You know, we do a lot of deer management over here. You're not always going to get it right. Right. And that's, you've got to live with that. But if I'm going to shoot a hundred deer, maybe three of them aren't going to be shot very well. And I've got to follow up with another shot and such like, but for me, particularly as I got older, I really want animals to be dead and dead well. And the kind of products that we, um, we provide really up that game and really up the results. And that's the kind of letters and emails I get all the time where a guy's been out with his son or whatever, and they've taken this elk or they've shot it and they said, couldn't have done it without your product. And for me, that's hugely rewarding um, to know that people are doing, pulling off these shots and they're getting the right results using our gear. I'm not pretending we're the fix all. We're not the people, we're not the company. If you're driving, if you've got a truck or a boat, you probably don't need our go gear, but if you're the kind of guy that's going to go and hike 20 miles into the back country and you want to, you want a dead deer, then you really want to be chatting to us because I believe we're, we're leagues ahead when it comes to that kind of environment. Steve, it strikes me to hear Rob talk about choosing simplicity, like intentionally. And it's funny to me, the, especially as even guys get more experienced, like, the the features and like things like that sell from a marketing perspective but with more use of products and more real world experience more and more people just want to like simplify things and go back to like what is this central need and how can i meet that with as as little as possible essentially as an inventor right i'm 57 years old if i was 30 or 25 i'd probably be telling you something else but you know, my, I'm not, I'm trying to build at my age. It's more important that I build the product right than build a huge company. Yes, the company's growing and I'm delighted and we've got fantastic people working there, far brighter and more capable than me doing that. But I get huge results, huge rewards out of knowing people love those products and love those systems. And the older I get, the less I need. You know, and you could say the same about all sorts of things. And so for my view, you know, yeah, Javelin Light Davros is really where it's at. Yes, I can provide you with an all singing, all dancing, a scent tripod. It's a fantastic bit of kit. Central Collins, a toolbox, you know, so it'll do your optics. It'll do your bow. Trekking poles, great. I will always use a trekking poles. I love the tripod, but you don't necessarily need all these things. I don't, I don't, aside from experience, I don't know how you figure that out. Like, I don't know how you separate 
features and like marketing versus here's what you truly need other than just experience? Yeah, I mean, I've spent a lot of time climbing, hunting in remote areas. This year I was in Tajikistan for two weeks with an American friend and we were testing the gear out there. We ended up shooting off the tripod every time, but they were long range shots with real steep angles. So we were using the Davros on the ascent, but I had mini legs. So I don't know if people don't know, but the ascent tripod is, if you think of a tripod head, a body, a heart unit, we call it, you can take out the trekking poles and you can put the bipod legs in. Well, I thought, well, hang on, we've got a long shot to do here, Gary. So I put three little legs in and we based that out. We made a tiny little tripod for him and he shot, he managed to shoot um, an Ibex, uh, sorry, a Marco Polo at 1200 yards. I mean, that was, I couldn't do that. I, I, I've shot one at 698, that's far enough for me. But the guy was comfortable with his gear. The winds were very still. It was an epic achievement. Um, and I, you know, I had a bit of a battle with it actually personally, because I thought, is this epic or blah, blah, blah. This is a long way. But we had dead ground between us. We could have restarted the hunt, gone around the backside of the mountain, but we'd have run out of light. And it was also minus 28 degrees. So it was pretty bloody chilly and we'd have probably died in the process or something would have dropped off in frostbite. But no, I'm it was tough. Um, and he did it and he pulled it off. And we were eating that Marco Polo that evening, raw on a bit of fried bread. Fantastic. And that really, guys, when you make a system that can provide a stable platform to do that at those kind of distances with I granted an exceptionally good guy behind the system on an exceptionally good rifle with night force optics. Everything was all sweet and rosy. We'd all dialed it in. He pulled it off and congrats to him for doing it. And he, um, from your personal experience, he said, obviously doing deer management, you get, you get to fire a lot of critters and I know you shoot uh, year round for guys who are maybe new to shooting from a tripod shooting a rifle from a tripod. What are some, some things that they should think through, consider, should know any sort of tips, techniques, things to look out for, what have you? Because to me, it's been one of those things before I started shooting off a tripod, it sounded like it was just going to be super easy and solve all of my problems. And yes, it creates stability, but it's not easy. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm glad you raised that question, Mark, because it's, it's yeah, we've got to go backwards a bit on that one. Right. So a tripod, the first thing that people can screw up on is they don't, you really, if you're shooting off three legs, make sure two legs are facing back and one's facing forward. And then the recoil management is so much more, uh, it's just harmo the harmonics work so much better. If you've got one leg coming back to you and two out front, it can really push you off kilter. Um, and our system, it's completely modular. So I, can, I don't tend to shoot off a tripod too much, Mark. What I do is I unscrew a leg. So I've got a giant bipod and I have the Davros on top. I flick those two legs out front and then I become the third leg in essence. And I'm loaded on the Davros. And honestly, I think I'm as good on two legs in most environments as I would be on three because you're actually more stable. And certainly as from a seated position, I always remove that third leg. And what I do, I put my elbows on my knees, lock down, flick the two legs out in the front, and it's super, super stable. But you can do that if you've got removable legs. 
uh, we can actually make we make a system for the military guys now the special forces buy a lot of our gear and you can take the ascent tripod and we can put two legs on the back with ankle joints so join at the ankles and then we have a rear support i mean literally i can make a mobile shooting bench so i think if you were go for shooting at some ridiculous range um or you're a military or law enforcement guy and you've got to set up your rifle and keep it in a locked position it's a great tool to do and that our system does bring that versatility but yeah tripods they're not easy they're um also i tend to set two adapters in the rifles now i'll put one uh, further back towards the breech and one up the front of the rifle and in certain situations i'll use that breech end gunsmith adapter to put the, that davros in there and i'm just a nicer tighter little unit more locked in is that just like a balance kind of balance the gun yeah, out more yeah, on the head it, yeah it, it, it works very well steve not in all environments but it's very good. And if you're shooting angles, it's a much better place to have the um, tripod supported in the middle of the rifle. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I like what yeah, you said we, Rob, um, about making yourself the third tripod. Like I've never thought of it now. I can't wait to get to the range and try playing with that, but it makes a lot of sense. Cause that's what I found is yes. A tripod used traditionally with a rifle supporting your the front or even the midpoint on the rifle but you just find that you have so much movement in yourself and in your body because you're uh, you're not making yourself got, part of that system but if you you've got to, yeah. you've got to get rid of that shake and it's it's there's a little bit yeah getting the legs set right is good also locking putting your what i do i tend to look a bit stupid when i'm shooting off a truck but i stick my ass out and lock my legs so my legs aren't bent they're straight and I'm pushing my backside out. So I might be stooped over that tripod, but what I find that does, and then I'll put my, I'm right, I shoot right hand, and I'm actually left hand, I shoot right, but I'll have my left hand round the body or round the Davros, and then I can lock myself down quite nicely. But again, if you do it off two legs, honestly, Mark, try it. And if you, if you have two legs, you use your knees as basically support platforms for your elbows, you lock onto the rifle system, you lock those two legs out in front. You, you, you'll put a smile on your face. Try it. You'll go, I've got that. And that really works. And that's, I shoot a lot of animals that way. <laughs> Super excited to try that. Rob, this is a, a big departure from talking shooting and products and things like that. But the question came to mind and I want to make sure I hit it because I'm really curious about the answer. But with all of your experience, decades, hunting, mountaineering, all types of adventures, you being 57, obviously, as listeners can hear, still very passionate, but like, what keeps you going? Like what, in the outdoors, like what excites you? What keeps you going? What keeps your passion up after all these years? Ah, uh, that's a really good question. I, I have three very good women in my life. One's my partner, well, and three lovely girls and a great son, and they all push me. Um, and I remain, I'd say for 57 touch wood, you know, the gods are looking after me. I'm still pretty fit um, and my knees and hips. I want to be out all the time. My knees and hips still work. So, you know, the clock's ticking when you're my age and you can feel those pains and those graunchy bits. I'm like an old motorbike or car that's done too many miles. Do you think just keep squeezing a bit of life out of me, please? Um, <laughs> But I have, I have some wonderful people in my life. So my partner, Magali, French lady, she's very, very into health and fitness. She keeps me on a pretty strict diet. She's very supportive. 
of me and the adventure life that I lead and fully embraces and understands how important it is. So if you've got a good partner, that helps. I don't have to, any challenges if I'm going fishing, mountaineer. She draws a line at climbing these days. She said, Rob, you can do anything, but don't do any silly new routes and bits and pieces. And I, I accept that. And to be honest, my fear factor or my value of life has probably increased as I got older and thought, I wouldn't want to do those stupid things again. I still <laughs> like to climb. I'm doing something in the Dolomites with my daughter, one of my daughters this year, but that'll be, you know, a nice classic route. And we'll end up with our faces in a bowl of pasta and some red wine at the end of the evening. You know, it, it different, but great. But I'm passionate about, passionate about outdoor life, you know, be it with a fly rod, axes, or a rifle. Those are just the excuses, the tools to be out in nature, really. And I think you guys in the States, the UK, I, I talk about this a lot. It's, it's, it's a trouble for me. I, I have an issue with the UK and the fact that hunting over here is quite elitist because we don't have the public land. Um, so invariably, you've got to have a lot of money or you've got to know people or you've got to be a gamekeeper. We have professional gamekeepers in, in the UK. So it doesn't open the doors. The segue for somebody living in a city to get into a hunting environment is so much more difficult in the UK compared to you guys in the States. And I really admire what you Americans have done there with your public land. And I'm sure it's not perfect. Nothing is. But crikey, it's a damn sight better than what we've got over here. And the fact that anybody can basically go out and hunt and get a license or draw a tag and get the opportunity to hunt and do those wonderful things, I think is huge. And that's the very future. That's the very essence that will keep these things going. Um, we have a lot of challenges over here. I don't know, you know, we've just had a big challenge against our grouse moors, you know, and ill-educated people, and that's what it is. And we're guilty of it because we don't educate people. So they draw conclusions that aren't necessarily right. And they start hammering things like hunting because they don't understand it. And my argument is you go and spend a day on a chicken farm and then come hunting with me. Right. Or anybody I hunt with. And then at the end of the day, let's argue what's crueler. Let's argue whether hunting really is cruel or you sticking that chicken burger in your face complaining about me. Hunting is really cruel. Sorry, I, I will happily argue that. Um, those issues i sort of went off track a bit there mark apologies but i'm glad yeah. you did yeah yeah, I mean, I like it's, it. yeah yeah it's one of those things that we are so guilty of taking things for granted here and there's there's a lot of hunters complaining these days in the states and yes opportunities are getting harder and there, I, there, I there are know. issues and challenges yes but there's also yeah, we have it I... so good in so many ways you you do and i don't know if i can agree with the word guilty it's you've grown up with it so it's, it's, it's just there. It's on your doorstep. We would be, we'd all be that way if we'd grown up with it. Sure. And I see it from a very different perspective because I'm on the other side of the pond. And I see what I really, really bang this home in podcasts and say, guys, you, you keep that. The public land is the very essence, right, of giving people that freedom to roam, that freedom to go out and do these adventurous things. Crikey, if we don't do that in the next 20 years, our kids will all just be on computers and iPhones and living the dream. You know, of what, what dream will they be living? The best memories that I've got are being out, getting invariably freezing cold or wet or in pain or something's gone wrong. 
right? You forget that bit, but you, that's when you really feel that you're alive. Hmm. And sadly, I think a lot of people have lost that feeling alive moment and never will see it. And I, you know, it's such a shame. And children over here, young kids, it's so difficult to get into these outdoor adventure things. They, they can get into plastic stuff, you know, do, do, but real, a real adventure, it's very difficult when you don't have so much land. Mm. I've never thought about it from that perspective. Yeah. Well, it's, it's easy when you're on this side, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. It's, and, and it's, yeah, and, and you, nor would I if I lived in the States, but it, it's, it's, it's a wonderful country you've got there. And long may it continue to be, and long may you continue to have all that public land. And um, yeah, very envious of that, actually. But speaking of the US and you guys, you know, being located overseas, I feel like at some point, this was probably a couple of years ago, but that you guys were kind of working on kind of reestablishing or reconfiguring how distribution or representation for Spartan is kind of set up on in the States or if everything would remain direct from the UK. Uh, What does that that look like? Glad you touched on that. I'm gagging to get out to America. Um, We would love to be um, in the Northwest somewhere and we'd love to be manufacturing in the US. Um, In actual fact, we're writing a business plan about that right now. Um, We're too small at the moment. We can't finance that move just yet. But I would like to say in the next two years, 24 months, um, you'll see a Spartan USA. Awesome. Yeah. And if not, you've got permission to beat me up. But I really want that. And and as I say, at my age, 57, I want to be, I want to see that. I would, I'd like nothing more than a little place in Montana or Idaho, right? With a bit of public land to hunt on. Yeah. Touching back on uh, health and longevity and capabilities at your age, Rob, what are some of the what are some of the keys, your personal takeaways? You mentioned your partner's super big into health and nutrition and all that. For you personally, what are, what are some of the difference makers in whether it's your fitness or diet or anything related to health and longevity for you? I think genetics have a big part to play, but I also think sugar is an absolute poison. And in the next 20 years, I want it to be classed as it. I think people, I don't drink Coke. I don't drink sugar. I don't, we don't have any sugars in the house. I live off good quality fats, omega-6s. I live off organic meat, um, good quality eggs. You know, I have probably not so many carbs as I used to because I'm just older and I get fat. You know, I'll carry that weight. But generally, I'm really fussy what goes. You wouldn't put shitty engine oil in your car, would you? Mm. So why do you eat crap? You know, I have this conversation all the time. You see people eating Mackey D's and KFC's and I, I just, I don't get it. You know, I say, why are you eating that rubbish? And um, that's just my personal view. But I think at 57, I'm doing all right. And long may I continue. I hope we're having this conversation at 67 and I'm still doing all right. I might be proved wrong. But um, yeah, I'm very fussy about what I eat. And I like a glass of red wine. I like a beer now and again, but I don't go crazy on the alcohol, but I'm not a saint. You know, I'll, I'm, I enjoy having some fun. I'll smoke a cigar now and again, and I enjoy that. But I'm, I don't do anything in excess. It's good stuff. Um, this is bouncing back to products uh, and Spartan Rob. But before we wrap up, I'm just kind of curious of anything we haven't touched on 
Are there any really common questions that you guys get that we haven't kind of touched on that you would just think would help people or yeah I, something- I, right that's a really i'm glad you said that mark i i the bipods come with a classic adapter um the classic adapter goes in one rifle sling with sling swivel stud because that's all we've got to play with with any rifle right those adapters can twist and turn. I turn them the other way around, actually, 180 degrees to how we actually say they should be, because then if you're carrying the rifle barrier up, barrel up, they're less likely to swivel because the swivel sling hole is at the top rather than at the bottom. But I would encourage anybody that uses our system to fill the paint, buy the gunsmith adapter, it's cheaper, drill a hole and put them in the stocks. They are game-changing. Right. And I say this with the meat eater guys. I say, it with, say, put a gunsmith adapter in your stock. Job done. It's there. It's not going to get it's not going to twist or turn. It's bonded in. File and forget. I do hundreds of them. And um, I've never had a complaint. Once people have got that in there, they go, oh, yeah, crikey. Yeah, it's it's just it doesn't have any weight. It's a simple thing to do. It's bonded in. It's the cheapest adapter we sell. And it's the best one. Cool. Sounds like there's uh, a lot in the works over the next one to two years. You guys are continuing to grow and innovate. So if folks want to follow along, what are the best ways to do that? Where are you most active online or the best ways for uh, people to see updates from Spartan? So we have an Instagram site, um, Spartan Precision Equipment. Um, and that's that's good. You see a lot of the products coming through there. It's much more sensible than when I was doing it. It's actually based on a business now rather than <laughs> Mr. Gearing having some fun, um, which is all part of growing up, I guess. Um, so that's that's a good place to start. We have a website. Um, there's a lot of good companies now selling our products in the States. And obviously, I'd encourage people to buy them from the companies in the States because we have to ship everything from the UK. It'll be the same sort of money. So uh, Branded Rock Canyon's a great one. Happy Antelope even sell them on Amazon now. Um, there's a, a G4 archery, sell them. There's, there's a host of good companies out there that are stocking our products, I'm delighted to say. Um, and also there's companies that we work with like uh, Sig Hunting, I think, are selling a product now. Springfield Arms have just, uh, we're, selling, we're supplying to them, uh, Meat Eater TV. So you don't have to feel the pain of getting products shipped from the UK. You know, you, there are companies over there that sell the spartan gear perfect rob i always uh, appreciate your perspective and your passion uh it's always good to chat with you and i hope uh we don't wait another couple of years to do another podcast and get you back here so thanks for the time no it, it, there's a lot coming out in the next next year i mean this the one thing about this covid thing being locked down it's it's we've done three years work in basically one uh, more military and law enforcement products, really. But some of that will filter through to the hunting world for sure. Well, there you have it, guys. Don't forget to go to exomountaingear.com forward slash experience or hit that link in the show description so that you can learn more about this giveaway that's going on, how to win some gear from Spartan Precision in the month of September, and much more. As always, guys, we appreciate you tuning in. Best of luck on any hunts that you have coming up soon. As always, feel free to reach out to us with any questions, comments, or a story for the show by sending an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. We'll talk to you soon.